Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, now may the words that I speak and the words that you hear be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, on a deep level, I hate the fact that that reading ends with the gospel of the Lord because it's it's, uh, rough news. Uh, But what's going on here? Well, today, uh, today's, our sermon continues in Matthew chapter 18. As uh, we look, we continue to look at the meaning of enjoy your forgiveness, our parish's motto. And if you recall from last week, I stated that uh, this section of Matthew chapter 18 is a three-part teaching on forgiveness by Jesus. The first section begins in Matthew chapter 18 with the parable of the lost sheep, which illustrates God's profound care and concern to reconcile wayward sheep, you and I, back to the fold, the church, in order that we might enjoy our forgiveness before God. And then last week, if you remember, we looked at Jesus' instructions on how the church, or uh, yeah, we looked at Jesus' teaching on how the church should go about reconciling the lost sheep to the fold. And that that passage is not so much about casting people out, but about reconciling them so that we as a church might enjoy our forgiveness together. Which brings us to our gospel reading today, the third section of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. And what Jesus is really getting at with this parable, ultimately, is why forgiveness is so important to God. So, our gospel opens up, and in response to what Jesus has taught so far, St. Peter asks Jesus a great question. A question that we've all wrestled with at least once in our life. A question that, me personally, I have been dealing with this week. When it comes to forgiveness, where's the line in the sand? How much forgiveness is too much forgiveness? Surely there's a time when we get to the end of that forgiveness leash, if you will. The rabbinic tradition of Jesus' day was that you were required to forgive a person three times before you were allowed to retaliate or cut them off. And so when Peter says, hey... How about seven times, Jesus? I mean, seven, that's a generous answer. Seven, that sounds like a perfect answer. Seven, that's a divine number, a number of completion, which not only outdoes the rabbis, but it more than doubles it. I mean, we're talking, you've got to forgive that guy once a day, every day for the whole week before you can cut them off. Really good. However, Jesus takes this forgiveness idea to a whole new level. Seventy times seven. Now, I did the math because, as I said, I've been dealing with this question all week. And uh, it comes to about um, uh, 490. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Can you tell? I've been thinking about this. But anyway, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Rather, the point is seven driven to the point of utter completion several times over. I mean, when you're at 362 and a half, who is counting anymore? This is my first point. 
When Jesus is talking about forgiveness with God, it's amazing. No matter who you are, or what you have done, or are doing, or will do, or continue to repeat over and over and over again, when it comes to God, forgiveness keeps no account. Enjoy your forgiveness. Because forgiveness keeps no records of wrongs. Freely we are forgiven by God. And now, as the parable illustrates, freely we are to forgive. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, until... I take forgiveness out of the realm of hypothetics and conjecture, and forgiveness actually has to apply to my life, especially the situation I've been dealing with all week. I mean, personal confession. And I hope someone can relate with me. Even though I am a terrible accountant, and just ask Scott Pavo, our director of operations, I am a terrible accountant. When it comes to transgressions, though, I'm an amazing bookkeeper. I mean, my pencil is always sharp, my spreadsheet's out, and I love to replay all the times I have been slighted over and over and over in my head. And then by myself, I mean, I don't know about you, but me, I love to take my grudges and I nurse them like a little pet, you know, and, uh, and all the infractions, I just cultivate them until I'm just like a bitter mess. I hope I'm not the only one. Well, maybe I do. But I ponder all the ways that I've been hurt. And I continue to be hurt by the offense. Boy, that is it. They better never show their face around here again. I mean, enjoy your forgiveness, whatever. You know? And I'm definitely blocking them on Instagram. That'll show them. Picture. Picture the person you can't forgive. Take a moment. Maybe for you it's your brother. Maybe for you it's your sister. Maybe for you it's your parents and what they did to you. Picture the person you can't forgive. Maybe for you it's your ex-wife. Your ex-husband. That kid who picked on you mercilessly in junior high and think how it has affected you and now picture them totally forgiven on our own without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives we hate it I mean this parable is a teaching on the complete and total rejection of God's grace and forgiveness in light of our own demands and how it affects our lives and the relationships around us. Jesus says 70 times 7 for this reason, and that's very important, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. And one slave owed him 10,000 talents. That is a tremendous debt. That is like $10 million today. And his punishment was harsh. 
we read that the punishment not only affected the slave, but it affected his whole family. And so what Jesus is doing in this parable is he is illustrating the power of original sin. There is an infraction and a debt that has occurred that has affected us all. However, the slave falls on his knees. He falls to his knees and he says, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Now that is a very, very important line. Don't just let that wash over you. The statement by the slave illustrates how each and every one of us naturally thinks about God. How we naturally think he deals with us via transactions. And transactions with, God's are, with God is killer because they fool us into thinking that we are right with God on the basis of what we do. This is why, I mean, I naturally tremble when I read the end of that Romans 14 reading. Because I think deep down it's based on what I do. And if it's based on what I do, then if I've been doing pretty good and God's just good, not holy, just, and true, well, then I can put him in my debt. And if I can put God in my debt, well, most certainly, if you've slighted me, I can put you in my debt as well. It fools us into thinking that we're, on the, we're right on the basis of what we do. Luther once said powerfully, forgiveness is God's command. That's God's command, forgiveness. And it's God's command because as today's parable illustrates, God abhors, God abhors unforgiveness. And he abhors unforgiveness because unforgiveness, what it actually does, as the first slave illustrates, it sets us up against God and his creation by setting us up as gods ourselves. Gods who hold others hostage with our own unforgiveness and resentment. And this is my second point. You see, when you take forgiveness out of the realm of speculation and nicety and conjecture and read this parable honestly, you begin to understand that you are, or at least your minister, if I'm being honest with you, is a little closer to that unforgiving slave in Jesus' parable than we might have thought. However, read closely. The king doesn't strike a deal with this slave. He doesn't say, okay, you got three weeks. Okay, you got three years to pay me back. No, it says out of pity for him. Out of pity the king doesn't enter into some sort of transactional deal, but the king extended grace and mercy. The Lord of that slave released him from the debt and forgave him, and the Lord, it impacted the guy's whole family. And so in this parable, what happens is, is that the king becomes an image of Jesus on the cross. Because that king dies to the great debt which would have required not only the slave but the slave's whole family. The great Episcopal theologian Robert Farrah Capon 
when commenting on this parable. He writes, none of the debts, none of our sins, none of our trespasses, none of our errors will ever be an obstacle to the grace that raises the dead. At most, they will be the measure of our death. And as soon as we die, they too will be dead. Because our Lord, the King, has already died to them. The king drops dead to the whole business of payback and forgiveness. And this is how it works in the kingdom of God. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. This is how Jesus on the cross actually works for you. Jesus forgives our unpayable debt. Jesus forgives those who are having a hard time forgiving someone else's perceived unpayable debt by dying on the cross for us and rising on the third day. And you see, this is powerful because what this does is that this makes the act of forgiveness in our lives with others, the person that's transgressed against you, what it does is it makes the act of forgiveness in our life actually an act of freedom. Because the act of forgiveness releases us It releases us from the resentment. It breaks the bonds of bitterness and alienation. And as Jesus' resurrection from the dead demonstrates, forgiveness gives birth to the possibility of a redeemed and new future. This parable is a teaching on why forgiveness Why forgiveness is so important to God. And it's so important to God, forgiveness, because practically speaking, as the first slave illustrates in his treatment of the second, you remember Jesus has given now the whole church the keys to bind and loose. And this second slave, by binding the other slave to the debts, to his debts in the same in the name of our own pain and interpretation of justice, by binding people to that, our pains and our interpretations of justice, what actually happens, and this is why forgiveness is so important to God, it actually cuts ourselves off from the joy of God's grace working through us. Hear me. Hear me. The cross not only breaks into and forgives my external trespasses. It breaks in and forgives those trespasses against me. And what it does is it calls me to recognize how great forgiveness is. And what that does is it calls me and it brings healing and wholeness to who I am. It begins to bring integration into my life. Forgiveness calls us to believe and have faith that all the evil the world throws at us, all the evil that has been done to us, it tells us that God also takes all that mess into his body on the cross 
and forgives it as well. He takes all the mess of the world and redirects it for his good and glory. And in his wounded body, behold, with the forgiveness of sins, he makes all things new. And this is my third point. The trespasses against us. That's the thing to think about. The trespasses against us. When touched by the grace of God, also draws us to look at the cross of Jesus and forgive those who trespass against us. You see, by the injustice of the cross, we learn that God can and will use injustice to bring about your salvation, to bring about my salvation, and ultimately the salvation of the whole world. And so in this place right now where God's forgiveness is real, I invite you today as we come around this table in a holy moment and bring all your resentments, bring all your pains, bring all your anger and your wounds and all the debts you're still carrying with you. In this holy moment, bring them right here and exchange them for the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood and leave them here. And for a moment, even if it's just a moment, that's sometimes all we can do. Freely forgive. And then watch it grow. Not just three times. Not seven times, but in the wounded hands of Jesus, touched by the Holy Spirit, watch it disappear into those wounds and know at least for a moment the freedom. Know at least for a moment and taste as that chalice hits your lips the redeemed and new future that God has for you the new future that comes with being children of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.